0: You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Grant. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle, so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. This episode is brought to you by Ancestral Elements Supplements. If you're looking for high-quality whole food supplements, check out ancestralelements.com, navigate to the Supplements tab, And you'll find liver and colostrum, as well as a bear clover tincture that's the only one on the market. I worked with UC Davis to get it lab tested. It's high in quercetin and other phytochemistry that provide antioxidants and anti-inflammatory properties. Sweetened with a hint of maple syrup, lemon peel, and ginger, it's 100% organic and wild crafted, and all the lab tests are also available upon request. If you're looking to increase your antioxidant activity and fight inflammation, check out the bear clover tincture. Hi, and welcome back. This is episode 36 of the Ancestral Elements Podcast kidneys and the power of Jing. On this episode, I want to break down this traditional Chinese concept of Jing. I want to get into how it interacts with the kidneys and the role that it plays in not only your DNA, but your epigenetics. And finally, how the Eastern and Western modalities of medicine overlap in this concept. And as always, when approaching the Eastern concepts and philosophies of medicine, there may be some new language that people are slightly unfamiliar with, I will do my best to kind of break down the traditional Chinese medicine concepts that I cover here in a little bit more of a Western paradigm to make it a little more digestible for people. But it's also important to realize when you're trying to compare the Eastern and Western philosophies when it comes to medicine and health, they're two very different systems, both extremely complex in their own right. But the approach is entirely different between the two. And it's an important thing to differentiate because it's easy when you have grown up in a Western paradigm to try to equate everything to a Western model. And that's not necessarily a good thing because you lose a lot of the context. So I'm going to do my best to kind of portray some contextual meaning as well as trying to put it in language that's easily understood. The concept of Jing dates back to over 3,000 years ago. It was one of the first established medical theories of its time in traditional Chinese medicine. It was written down in the Han Dynasty, so about the first century BC, somewhere in that time frame. But it had been verbally passed down for generations before that. And this concept of jing, it, when you quantify it down, it really can be quantified down to essence or kind of the core of who you are. So, for example, your DNA, your connective tissue, your skeleton, your kidneys are jing substances. You have what's considered first jing or congenital jing, meaning passed down from your mother and father. This is kind of your primary jing. In a Western paradigm, it could be translated to DNA. So, you're kind of your blueprint, what is going to dictate how you develop and kind of the center, the core of your lineage and identity. Doesn't mean it can't be changed and manipulated, because certainly it can. But this is the first kind of hard set principles to define who you are. We will get into more particulars about the body and how Jing manifests itself in organ systems of the body. But it's important to understand where this idea, where this philosophy is even coming from, and how it relates to your body and overall nutrition and health. So this primary jing is what would be considered your yin jing, or the kind of female uh, jing that you carry. This is um, an interesting concept when you kind of compare it to a Western paradigm in this respect, because again, your mitochondria are only passed down from the maternal side. So this yin-jing, this essence of you and your energy that drives you and perpetuates your growth and development, is a female characteristic. So the yin and yang In traditional Chinese medicine, represent kind of female and male characteristics. Yin being female, yang being male. So we already are seeing some overlap between your DNA kind of establishing your framework for your body and growth and development, versus jing, that core concept of who you are being passed down from your mother and father, but this female jing, being almost like your mitochondrial DNA that's only passed down from the maternal line, whereas yang jing is acquired jing, so you get it as you develop, after you're born, which is comparative in a Western paradigm to epigenetics and, in some respects, nutritional genomics. With many traditional Chinese medicine philosophies, there's a duality to it, which ultimately provides balance and provides perspective. Because the moment you get too myopic onto one side, you lose contextual ground to put perspective around a concept. And if traditional Chinese medicine teaches you anything, it teaches you how to view something from an entire perspective. Things didn't get overly myopic. Things got niched down, don't get me wrong. Especially when you're dealing with kind of systemic or chronic conditions and the use of tonic herbology, right, things get very, very nuanced. But overall, the approach is a systematic, well-rounded approach that doesn't drift too far from the original concepts and theories that are derived. And this is one of those theories. And you see this reworked into more nuanced language and ability as you kind of go through the timeline of traditional Chinese medicine, which is pretty different when you compare that to a Western medicine approach. Because we tend to get overly myopic, we tend to get overly reductionist with our approaches, and then things kind of systematically one by one fall apart. And we gradually have to reproduce and re-engineer a well-balanced more rounded perspective around the original myopic focus, which often leads to a lot of confusion, and it gets people stuck in kind of one perspective or the other in a Western paradigm. This is why there's so much confusion around human nutrition, because we've gotten so nuanced in our perspectives that now we're debating if animal foods are unhealthy and if plant foods are unhealthy. And you have this polarization on either side that is looking at things so myopically that they've completely disregarded each other's perspectives. There's valid arguments on both sides, but when you completely negate their perspective, then you lose the middle ground. You lose the picture because you're too focused and too nuanced on one particular side or the other. And traditional Chinese medicine hasn't really done this. At least it doesn't have the history of doing this. They take a center lane more often than not and then kind of branch out and there's deviations from the center, not from one side or the other. All right, so back to this Jing concept. So Jing energy is considered the root energy. It is what Qi is derived from. In traditional Chinese theory, the kidneys are responsible for this production and for jing. So the moment you're born, you start to lose jing. It starts to fade out of your body. Think of it like aging. The moment you're born, you start to age. Jing is considered to be completely gone at the moment of death, right? So at the moment of death, your aging stops, at least In the way that we think of it, at least conceptually, (laughs) your aging stops. That essence of you is no longer there, no longer portrayed in who you are. The only thing you can do is modulate this process when you're alive, which is where health, where energy is coming from. It's modulated through diet, through lifestyle, through exercise. As with any major concept in traditional Chinese medicine, organs and systems are associated with it. So Jing energy, as I said, comes from the kidneys. The important thing to note about that is the adrenal glands sit on top of each kidney. The adrenal glands have an important role when it comes to providing energy for your body. They're endocrine glands. They produce epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol, they keep your body systematically regulated with energy depending on the time of day and the stage of life you're in. So this idea about kidneys providing energy is actually very true from an anatomical and physiological level. It's easy in a western perspective, when you hear about something like adrenal burnout to focus on the adrenal glands because that's where it's coming from and a lot of times that's the approach it's important to realize that the kidneys regulate the adrenal glands that's why they're paired together they're literally connected so a lot of times when you are adrenally fatigued it's the result of your kidneys not processing and synthesizing effectively. They slow down. Now, if you spend weeks and weeks on end running off of adrenaline, it starts to lower overall metabolism function and organ function. Again, I'll go back to the adage, rest and digest, right? The best time you're digesting is when your nervous system, when your adrenaline is low. So, when you're at a parasympathetic nervous state, you're going to metabolize your food better and you're going to have more efficient breakdown. That's a concept that gets overlooked a lot when it comes to metabolic health. A lot of times, when people are struggling with digestive issues, with metabolism breakdown issues, with secondary metabolite issues, whatever it may be. It's because they are chronically stressed out. They're working too hard, too fast, with not enough downtime and rest. Now, I love adrenaline. Don't get me wrong. It is a fantastic drug. It's phenomenal. My wife and I had to pull an all-nighter just the other week because we had a lot of work to do for an event. And I forgot how much adrenaline feels good. I thrive off adrenaline. It's a place when you've been up for, you know, 24, 36 hours, you know, in that range where if you're not used to utilizing that adrenaline. And if you're not, if you haven't learned how to kind of control that and modulate that in that state, it's a hard place to be at. But if you've spent any time in a prolonged period of kind of sleep deprivation, you'll know how to work off that. I'm not suggesting that it's a good thing to do because it's not, but I've had periods in my life where I've run pretty solely off of adrenaline. And it's an interesting state to be in not a healthy state by any means, but it's an interesting state to get insight into your body and into your brain. Because your brain is primarily affected when you don't sleep. It's kind of the first thing that you notice. Your faculties don't work well, right? But it's also the nervous system. And then it starts to go to other organs. So digestion is compromised. Other functions are kind of compromised. Because your body doesn't have enough energy to keep those systems going at full clip. You only have so much energy in a body to use at once. And so if you're running low, if you're kind of running on fumes, it takes a lot of energy to, and to fuel your brain, to have brain power. And so most of your energy is diverted to your brain, which leaves the other systems Grasping to catch as much energy as I can. In that time period of about a day and a half where my wife and I didn't sleep, she made an observation that she couldn't stay hydrated. And it was a very good acute observation. Granted, we were working out in the hot sun and it makes it all that more challenging to stay hydrated. But also, a lack of sleep releases extra vasopressin, which keeps the kid, it's a hormone which keeps fluid and electrolyte balance in the kidneys and if you run off of minimal sleep that hormone gets released in excess and it keeps it it makes it a lot harder to stay hydrated so if you're somebody who is chronically losing sleep make sure you're drinking extra water because you're losing a lot more and it's little changes like that unless you've pushed your body in certain areas you may not realize kind of the physiology And not to be too long-winded about, you know, a little bit of sleep deprivation that Marie and I went through, but it's important to realize that when pushing your body to different extremes, you're going to pick up on different physiological aspects that are going on that you wouldn't normally associate with, such as sleep and dehydration. I mean, it wasn't until 2018 that a team of researchers realized that people who are chronically lacking sleep are more easily dehydrated from this hormone, whereas if you're somebody who is chronically lacking sleep, you'll probably realize that it's harder to maintain your hydration status throughout the day. And this is essentially how traditional Chinese medicine was derived. It was derived from personal lived experiences and observations in your own body, and other people's bodies. And so, back to the kidneys, the kidneys play a crucial role in not only sleep and hormone regulation, but hydration and fluid and electrolyte balance. The other thing that Jing is considered to do is to govern bone. In other words, kind of control bone health and growth, again, resulting in the kidneys, which is another really key overlap between Eastern philosophy and Western philosophy when it comes to medicine is that your kidneys do regulate bone. They regulate your bone growth and health through synthesis of vitamin D because your kidneys, although your liver absorbs and starts to process vitamin D, it's your kidneys that do the work of assimilating vitamin D from the sun. To the active form of vitamin D that's through your body, which is vitamin D3. That's the molecule that your kidneys synthesize and pump out to the rest of your body. And vitamin D has a relationship with calcium and it regulates bone health and bone growth. So, again, this perspective on the kidneys over thousands of years of observation through a traditional Chinese lens, we've discovered with kind of wishy washy, myopic focus in a Western paradigm. We've ended up in the same place, is what I'm saying. Very different paths, but there's a consensus in the middle. I'm going to transition now into ways that a person can increase and tone their jing. So we've established that it's kind of ever depleting out of your body. The things that accelerate it are the things that would accelerate any type of disease or aging or sickness. It's a lack of sleep. It's an unhealthy lifestyle, it's poor nutrition, a lack of community, and possibly many other factors, toxins, etc., etc., etc. So we've talked about sleep and the importance of sleep, and how it affects your body not only energetically through the mitochondria and ATP production, but hormonally, and how the changes in your hormonal cascades and endocrine system affect your organs. And in this particular instance, especially your kidneys. So the ways to tonify Jing, there are many, many different compounds that have been established in traditional Chinese medicine to tonify Jing, or to tonify the kidneys in particular. Things like chaga mushroom, ginkgo, astragalus, schizandra, reishi mushroom, kind of dark substances. Again, a dark kind of substance will be classified as a yin substance, darker pigmented berries. So, we would call them, you know, antioxidants, and that helps detoxify the kidneys because the kidneys filter. It's one of your primary filters for all the waste products. So, they need to not only filter the waste products in the kidneys, but they need to expel them through the urine and through the lymph, and through extracellular fluids. So, if you're building up and oxidizing excessive amounts of metabolites or toxins, then the kidneys can become fatigued or overworked. And those detoxifying pathways, what can be classified as a redox pathway, so those reduction oxidation pathways, become sluggish, and that affects the mitochondria right? I've talked a lot about this on the mitochondria episode already, so if you haven't listened to that and you want to know more about this process, go back to episode 12 and listen to the mitochondria episode. Like many things in the body, there's this kind of feedback loop between mitochondria and getting rid of cellular waste. Now, the kidneys basically just swoop up cellular waste and purge it from your body. It's kind of the place where things end up. Your kidneys filter your blood about 40 times a day. So it's this kind of constant flow of in and out of the kidneys. They're constantly having to deal with end metabolites and toxins that you're taking in and are exposed to many times during the day. And then as stated before, they're also synthesizing compounds. And not just vitamin D, but calcium phosphate Mediated pathways. So, growth factor 21 is also produced by the kidneys, which is kind of another concept on how kidneys can help regulate growth. Because if you're not producing adequate growth factor, you're not going to grow well. And so, again, back to traditional Chinese medicine and Western medicine, kind of coming to the same endpoint through different processes. And this calcium phosphate balance is very, very important, as well as sodium, is very important to maintain blood health and electrolyte balance. And if you think back to traditional Chinese medicine and what qi is, it's blood health and blood flow. So jing, energy, kidney, energy, mediates qi, blood, and how it flows. Is that all making sense? So this is a very, very wise concept of this kind of innate inherited energy from your mother and father. And then you branch off to this maternal energy through the mitochondria. And then it was established that the mitochondria give you energy and that the kidneys have to kind of deal with detoxing and producing particular parts of that energy to keep the blood and your own energy throughout the day stabilized. So there's dynamic aspects to this where Jing and Qi are dancing with one another. And then ultimately you go to Shen, which I've also done a podcast on. So you can go back to listen to what that Shen energy is all about. And all of this encompasses this three treasures conception of kind of how energy is initially produced for your development. How it changes through your stages of life, and then how it interacts with your physiology and anatomy to stay regulated. And this is something that still evades most people's conceptions. When they talk about ATP and mitochondria in the West, it's rarely lumped back into the original system and organs of the body, which it should be. But this is one approach to this that has been sussed out over thousands of years. And I get the feeling that the more and more nuanced research that is done in a Western paradigm, the more we're going to start to understand this and unravel this a little bit more. Because there's a lot going on with this that still needs to be discovered and understood in a Western paradigm. But I think that if you look at it through a traditional Chinese medicine lens and kind of marry the two ideas, you get a lot farther down the road And I think that this whole energy piece, this whole regulation of the autonomic nervous system in the organs becomes a lot more clear because you don't think about your kidneys during the day. You might if you're in stage five kidney failure, but if they're working optimally, you never think about it. You don't think about your liver or your spleen or your pancreas or your kidneys you're automatically working. But there's an energy to that, and there's a a cost in energy to that function. And so making sure that you're leading a lifestyle that is going to support those automatic functions that you don't think about is crucial to your health and longevity. And so this idea of mitochondrial regulation through the kidneys and through the adrenals is an important piece. And it can be nicely addressed through tonic herbalism, through some of the herbs I've mentioned, but it also can be nicely addressed through diet and lifestyle. You know, this is why unmanaged type 2 diabetes typically will result in some type of kidney failure. A lot of times very late stage kidney failure that won't get caught because your body can't process the extra load in the kidneys and it starts a process of kidney failure. That's the majority of kidney disease. It comes from un- it comes from unmanaged type two diabetes, which is a lifestyle and nutritional disease. And interestingly enough, kidney disease within the scope of diabetes provides an extreme amount of mitochondrial dysfunction. In other words, the mitochondria, since the kidneys have a very high resting metabolic rate. In other words, they require a lot of energy even when you're at rest because they're filtering and producing so many things constantly. They need a ton of mitochondria. And so the more load that you put on your kidneys, the worse your mitochondria get because they don't have enough energy. The Mitochondria get weak and then your redox pathways start to suffer. In other words, your kidneys start to hold on to toxins and hold on to waste products because you have you don't have enough energy in there and you're not detoxing cellularly enough within the kidneys to adequately release waste products. And so things like albumin that is recycled in the red blood cells gets built up, you know, bilirubin, other things like that, other metabolic waste products that need to be filtered out tend to build up in the organs of the kidneys in the kidneys themselves, and it's damaging and inflammatory. And that's how your kidneys start to shut down, one that can be largely prevented through changes of diet and lifestyle. And so managing these types of lifestyle diseases should be done with food and your diet and lifestyle. And if your diet and lifestyle don't encompass the balance of these perspectives, if they don't encompass how to deal with kidney health and liver health and pancreas health, and spleen health, then it's not a very balanced diet and lifestyle because you're missing key areas and you could possibly end up in ill health in a pathogenic paradigm as the result of your diet and lifestyle. This is why we want good nutrition and a healthy lifestyle to begin with, so you can mitigate these issues. And other various mechanisms are being studied through the microbiome and how your microbiota relates to your kidneys. A fancy term is called the gut-kidney access. This is similar on what I talked about last week with the microbiota and the liver. There's a microbiota and a kidney link as well. So if you have dysbiosis in the gut, you can get extra bacteria that ends up being produced and shuttled to the kidneys, what's called bacteria translocation or bacteria transfer. And basically it creates excessive uremic toxins, which is kind of a sulfur, a sulfate. And it can end up causing some pathogenic factors between the gut and the kidneys. And so like anything, the food that you're consuming and how it breaks down, and how the bacteria utilizes it and the viruses utilize it, archaea utilizes it, and the proto species in your gut utilize it, matters. It matters for your organ health. And the problem with this type of research, this very niche mechanistic research, is it's through a very, very narrow lens. And you talk about these different bacteria species, or this different makeup of the microbiome, and it's very unclear on what is causing what. And so if you think about it from an organ perspective, it makes it a lot easier. If you think about, I'm going to eat these foods because I know that they are beneficial for the kidneys, or for the bladder, or for detoxing, then it makes it a lot simpler, and you don't have to worry about these complex, weird associations and interactions that are going on all the time, because you can't measure every single one, and you don't need to. Again, that's why I talk about well-rounded species diversity in your diet because it's going to cover a plethora of all these interactions. The interactions with the liver, with the kidneys, with the spleen, with the heart, all of those interactions matter. And they can all end up with pathogenic disease if you don't have enough adequate nutrition and adequate species diversity in your diet. You know, some people's genetic potential is greater than others. We're not all created equal. Some people's jing is stronger than others, would be another way of saying that. And you guys know what I'm talking about. You have seen super energetic people that just don't seem to stop, right? That have a plethora of energy. And it's sometimes because they're really healthy and everything functions really optimally, and then they have some reserve. Other times, it's people that are driving purely off of adrenaline. And they're going to eventually end up with some adrenal burnout or adrenal fatigue. And they're going to have to rest and they're going to develop some issues. Stabilization of energy throughout the day is important. You know, if you need a nap, take a nap. But nutrition can be the foundation for this health, for this type of thinking. Use food because it's going to get you a hell of a lot farther than trying to track down every mechanistic driver possible. And we never will. And we should stop assuming that we ever will. Because we're just going to come back to this original concept of maintaining your body through a healthy diet and lifestyle. And that's going to feed the organs well and supply you with adequate energy. And that's really the concepts that are underneath the surface of traditional Chinese medicine. It's interacting with environment, with the seasons, eating seasonally, understanding the relationships that plants and herbs have on the body, and medicines derived from animals and mushrooms and bacteria, right, they chose to seek out a broad approach where they could use corrective nutrition and corrective diets to alleviate pathogenic responses, bring their body back into balance. That's what's important. And you can do it through synthetically-derived drugs but that doesn't bring your body back into balance. All it does is provide a different bridge to alleviate the symptoms. It doesn't actually bring your body into balance. That's why you have to perpetually keep taking the drugs, because it doesn't treat the initial cause. But through food and lifestyle and correcting as you go in different life stages, in different times of stress, it starts to alleviate the need for hard therapeutic drug, because you can do it through food. And there's ancient wisdom here. And so back to this polarization between nutrition, between plant-based communities and animal-based communities, it's time we meet in the middle. Otherwise, we're going to just continue to drive towards ill health and pathogenic disease, because we're unwilling to look at the middle and to take a whole picture approach and to get nuances on either side, because those are important but you have to be willing to balance the two sides, to balance the light and dark, to balance the male and female aspects of yourself and of the culture that you're working within. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself in a place of ill health and pathology. And so this Jing energy, this essence within you, needs to stay balanced in order to supply yourself with longevity. And in Even amount of energy through your life. Because that's the other thing we don't like to talk about a whole lot in this culture, is that when we get into our late stages of life, 80, 90 years old, things don't senesce evenly, meaning your biological senescence, so the way your cells and organs age, ideally would age evenly. In other words, you don't want your kidneys failing way faster than your liver because that would result in kidney failure and you dying. As you age, you want everything to basically age at the same rate. You want everything to age evenly so you can die quickly. Otherwise, you're going to have a prolonged period of essentially death or ill health that brings you into death. I don't know about you, but I would much rather die almost instantly in my sleep than I would having a decade of some type of sickness or ill health that leaves me virtually incapacitated or bedridden. I don't think anybody would logically choose that. And so medication, in particular, tends to prop people up in those suspended discomforts where organs are senescing at different rates. They're aging at different rates. Whereas 5,000 years ago, people would age a lot more evenly, and they aged at about the same rate. There was people 5,000 years ago living until 80, 90 years old, but they weren't in a suspended state of decay, at least not for very long, typically on average. People's rates of decline were much faster at the end stages of life because they didn't have advanced techniques in medicine and medication to keep them alive longer. I mean, if you survived birth and then through middle age, there was a good chance that you were going to live into pretty late stages of life. I mean, our overall life stage end life stage hasn't increased hardly at all since the dawn of agriculture. Our birth rates have dramatically improved, but our late stage life numbers haven't improved hardly at all. Matter of fact, they're starting to get worse. And that should tell you something. Because if you've made it this far, wherever you are in your life, if you can comprehend what I'm saying to you, you've probably made it relatively far in your life stage, then you want things to age nice and evenly. You know, you don't want your joints in your knees wearing out before everything else, fifteen years before everything else. That results in having to get a knee replacement. And a knee replacement can result in hips failing because you don't have proper alignment. And then if a hip fails, you need to get that replaced. And then a lot of times the low back will go out because you'll get vertebral impingement in the lumbar, right? And on and on and on it goes. It just becomes a systematic decline. And so what proper nutrition and understanding concepts of modulating your nutrition based on your needs through plants, animals, fungi, bacteria, protists, will help you age more evenly. I'm not claiming that it's going to slow down your aging. I'm just saying it's going to even everything out. It's going to smooth it out, which is personally what I want. But you'll have to make that choice. And you should make it as early as you possibly can. If you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s listening to this, you should be taking this pretty seriously. Because the the sooner that you start, the more evenly your body is going to age and progress into your late life stages if you've just had kids, you should be thinking about that as they grow up, as you start introducing foods, and as you start incorporating more things into their diet. You should be thinking about these concepts of age, because this jing energy starts at conception. And the moment you're born, you're losing jing. And the only thing you can do is to keep it stabilized and even, to keep it toned. Because if you get dramatic spikes... That's when ill health starts to become a major issue. You don't want major spikes of health in your kidneys or your liver or your spleen, because it'll start to shut things down. And your tendency towards death, towards losing jing, ultimately increases substantially in that process. So I hope all of this kind of makes sense. I know it got a bit abstract, but really it's about keeping a diverse diet and understanding your needs as you go through life. And as stress accumulates, your overall nutrition should provide you with adequate balance. Balance in the mitochondria, balance in the organs, balance in the GI, balance in the epigenetics and the DNA, balance in your spirit. If it doesn't, or if you're having to massively supplement your diet, it means you're on an unbalanced path, and one that can be very tricky to get out of the farther you get down that path. Because the more things start to pile up behind you, making it far more difficult to backtrack and to get on the right path. This is what the Three Treasures is all about in traditional Chinese medicine. It's about balance. It's about balancing where you have started from and how your life progresses with the everyday health that qi and your organs provide you with, and ultimately how it affects you emotionally and spiritually, which is shen. So you move from jing through qi to shen, and then back again. And it's this delicate balance of these three concepts that need to be tightly honed in your life if you want adequate, even longevity. I'll get more into detail later in the upcoming podcasts about specific nutrients for different life stages and what can be done with different stress loads. But I wanted to provide you with an overall picture before I did that of why that could and should be important because really it is there's going to be many times in your life that you're going to have to adjust your dietary needs based on stress life stage whatever's going on that's why you need to remain flexible in the foods that you eat and the approach that you take so i hope that this has hit home a little bit i hope that this concept of jing wasn't too abstract and that it resonated a little bit so As always, thank you so much for listening. Remember to get outside, eat a well-balanced diet, and I'll talk to you guys this next week. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave me a rating and review. This will help people find the podcast so we can grow the audience. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to talk to me personally, go to the ancestralelements.com slash community to get access to the forum. We go through each episode every week and talk about these concepts and ideas in greater detail. And you can connect with other listeners.